Tonight, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Psalm 27, and we're going to come back in just a moment. It's interesting how uh, the Holy Spirit works. Um, I did, like, I don't, we didn't talk or like consult over songs, but I, just that last song was very appropriate uh, in what we're going to be discussing tonight. Psalm 27, if you've got a Bible. Uh, the Psalms are uh, some of my favorite uh, parts of Scripture. Uh, it is... Uh, is the hymn book of Israel. And some of you in this room would remember back when discipleship and like, spirit, your, like your spiritual life consisted of two things, your Bible and your hymn book, right? Uh, there, there was a day when that was the case. Uh, I, I'm not, uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with that or anything like that because uh, the Psalms were the hymn book of Israel. It was their way to pray, their way to worship. These would have been the very, what, what always gets me is these would have been the very words, the very prayers, the very songs, the very uh, things that would have shaped the life of Jesus. And so when we go to them, we see this full range of human emotion and worship and prayer, and it is just an incredible example of what, of how we should pray and how we should live our lives and how we should handle certain things. It's interesting to me, as I've been studying over the last couple of years, as I've, I've gone back to school, that the emphasis in certain traditions on the Psalms, that there are, there are groups that uh, the Desert Fathers would read the entire book of Psalms every single day. You go, wow, like that's, that's a lot. But what they would do it is they believed that it did something to them. It formed them. Like these were the prayers that the, the ancient people of God prayed. And these would be the same prayers they want to get inside of them. And so these are important for us in our spiritual formation. And these songs that we sing in church, right? These are important for our spiritual formation. We're not just singing songs, right? Like these mean something. And as we come to sing them, we're learning something about not only we're learning something about who God is. It's not just the songs that we sing. As Pentecostals, sometimes we get more on kind of the emotional side of it, which is fine. I think that that's that's a good thing. But sometimes we forget what these songs are like. They're doing something to us, and they're teaching us something about God that we raise a hallelujah. That there's a God who's there in the middle of whatever it is that we're going through. It's teaching us something about the very character and nature of God. And so when we come to sing these songs, these aren't just songs that we sing. These are things that are shaping us and forming us and showing us who God is and showing us who we are and how we relate to Him. And all of those things are balled up in our worship and praise. I remember when I was a, when I was a kid, uh, my, I went to a daycare that was in kind of a Christian school. And I would go there some summers as I got older because my parents were busy or working or whatever. And I always loved going on swim day, right? They had this uh, family in the church that had a, a pool, and it's not Florida, so like everybody didn't have a pool, like this was special, right? Not, it's Tennessee, people don't have pools because you have to shut them down, and it's a, it's a lot of extra work, right? Uh, it's not like Florida where you can leave them running year-round. And so this family had an in-ground pool, which that's even cooler because everybody else had above-ground pools, right? So this family had an in-ground pool, and it was nine foot deep in the deep end, and they had a diving board, right? And I, I don't remember all of the details of this event, but I remember... Uh, the first time going off of that diving board, right? I was full of conflicting emotions. On the one hand, I was probably, I don't know, seven, maybe eight years old. I don't know, somewhere in there. On the one hand, I was confident. Like I had a lot of, as they would say, I had a lot of swagger. Like I was, I was confident I was going to get up there. I was going to be the big man and go jump off this diving board, right? 
And then if you, have you ever had that, that moment where you're confident you're going to do something and you go to do it and you get to the edge, like in the middle of it and you get ready to do it and it's like, what have I gotten myself into? So I, can, I can remember going up there and going to the end of the thing and kind of like looking down at the pool and going, my word, that's a long way down. What, what, if I, what if I don't make it? What if something happens? What if, what if I drown? Like all these things are going through my mind. And it's interesting that we as human beings, most of the time we tend to think we kind of have like one emotion or one kind of thought going on at a time. But I was both confident and anxious. All, I was kind of holding that at the same time. I was both scared and I was certain I was going to do this because it was time. I was, I was going to jump off this thing. And we are, as human beings, this ball sometimes of paradoxes where on the one hand we're ready and we're, we've got courage, but then we've got fear and then we've got faith and then sometimes we have doubt and sometimes it all exists all at once. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Like we like to talk like all, we've always got faith or we've always got, or we've got doubt. We either have faith or doubt, but sometimes we're just a mixture of the two. Let's just be honest about it. That, that in the same breath, we can go, yeah, we're confident that God is going to do this. And then we can go, ooh, but I'm not, oh no, I'm not really sure. And again, it's interesting to me that we can go to the Psalms. It's encouraging that we can go to the Psalms and we can find the exact same thing. Then in Psalm 27, we're going to read of this Psalm of David. They don't know uh, why exactly he wrote this psalm. Some believe that he writes this as he's fleeing from Absalom. Some believe that he writes it as he's getting ready to go into battle. Some think that this was a prayer as they would get ready to go into battle. But we're going to read it tonight, and we're going we're gonna to see what it has to speak to us. Psalm 27, beginning at verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple." For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. And I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not away from your servant in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray this evening. Father, we ask that you, God, would just uh, help us to be aware of your presence in this room. God, we need you. Lord, you're here, whether we feel you or not, whether we uh, believe it or not. Lord, all of that is irrelevant. Lord, the fact of the matter is that you are in this room. But Lord, we pray that you would, God, reveal yourself to us and that you would help us to be aware that you're here. God, help us to be aware of your presence. Help us to uh, slow down tonight long enough to hear your voice. Help us to slow down and quiet ourselves long enough to hear what you have to say to us. 
God, we run and run and run and run, and we've got so many things that would try to distract us and try to keep us from you. And Lord, sometimes it's good to just stop and be at your feet. And so tonight, God, we give you praise and we give you honor and we give you glory. And we thank you. We, God, we raise that hallelujah in the middle of the mystery, in the middle of the issues, in the middle of the problems, in the middle of it all. Lord, we raise a hallelujah to you. God, believing that you are right there in the midst of it with this, no matter what it seems like or feels like or looks like, Lord, you are there in the middle of that storm, in the middle of that problem, in the middle of that issue. You are in, right there in the middle of it. And so, God, we pray that you would have your way in this place tonight. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I, I just want to look just a few uh, moments tonight at this passage, and I want to just talk about how this confidence in God confidence in God. First of all, notice in this psalm that David is confident in God, that this psalm opens up with confidence, and David's confidence is based on his previous experience with God. So he's dealt with God before, and he has seen God come through, and he's confident that God's going to come through again. And so the first thing that he says is this, that God is his light. God is his light. He says, the Lord is my light. This is the only place in the Old Testament where God himself is referred to as light. In the New Testament, we see in John that Jesus is light. In John 1.5, Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. In John 1.9, Jesus is the true light which gives light to everyone. And so God is the light, and we know from the New Testament that Jesus is the light. And think about all that light does for you and for me, that it reveals, that it brings understanding, that we can see things clearly. It enables us to see and move about and walk without bumping into things. Anybody ever stub their toe in the middle of the night because you didn't turn on the light, right? If you have kids at home, the struggle is real because somebody left out a Lego or a Barbie doll or something with wheels, and you are certain to have a fall, right? So you turn on the light that it lets you see and it lets you understand. It reveals. And so what is this supposed to mean? In the Gospel of John, we're reminded that Jesus reveals and he brings understanding and he shows us who exactly God is and what God is up to in the world. And for David here, David's telling, saying that God is his light and it provides comfort and understanding even in the midst of terrible, terrible times. That God is the light even in the midst of all the darkness that David is facing. I remember when I was a kid one time, um, I was never really afraid of the dark, but this, I had one particular kind of incident where I forgot and I had left my closet door open one night and I'm laying in bed, right? And I see something in my closet like start to move. And I had that, that, that moment where I'm like, you, you know, when you get afraid and you get kind of like, you can't say, like your mouth gets dry and you want to say something, but you can't say anything. And you're like frozen in place. You're like, oh my word, like there's someone in my closet, which I grew up in Memphis. And so that is a re like someone could be in your closet, right? Like where I come from, that could, that could be for real. All right. So, so somebody in my closet, so I'm like, I'm like, I'm frozen. And I'm scared. I want to call my parents. And I'm like, ah, you know, nothing's coming out. And I remember, like, I got, I mustered up, like, the courage, right, to get out of bed and go turn on the light. And lo and behold, it was like a shirt or something just dancing in the, the, the blow of the air conditioner, right? But I, I was scared to death in, in, the, in the dark. I couldn't see it. I didn't understand what it was. It was bigger than I thought that it was. It was something that I, that, that I had blown it out of proportion in my mind. But when I turned on the light, I began to understand. I began to see clearly. 
And you know, there are a lot of situations that you and I go through, and if we sit in the dark in those situations, that we blow them out of proportion, we think that they're bigger than they are, we think that mountain's larger than it is, we think the situation's more difficult than it is, but when Jesus, who is the light, begins to shine on our situation, we begin to see it clearly for what it really is. And so David here says, the Lord is my light. We've got darkness all around us, wars and viruses and government problems and other issues. And it can seem really scary. But when we turn on the light of Jesus, we see things as they really are. That the light of God dispels fear and lets us see and understand situations appropriately. If we react in the dark, we, we, we risk messing things up. We risk overreacting or underreacting to what we think that we see. But when we turn on the light of Jesus and we begin to see situations in our lives in the right context, man, it is a sight what God can do. Yeah. And so David says that the Lord is his light. And then he goes on to say this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The idea here is that God had been David's deliverance. Time and time again, David had been faced with enemies. And he's saying this, it's not by my strength or by my ingenuity that I overcome these things. It's not by me. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get myself out of these binds. The Lord was my salvation. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 20, verse 7, David says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What's David saying? That I, I don't have the strength on my own. I don't have what it takes. The Lord is my light and the Lord is my salvation. Amen. And he, he, he remembers, I, I can imagine as he's pinning this, he's remembering the deliverance from Goliath. And he's remembering his deliverance from Saul. And he's remembering his deliverance from his son Absalom. And he's remembering all the times that he's gone into battle and he's been victorious. And all the times that it looked like he was going to fail and he was going to die and things were going to be over. And all the times that God came through and faithfully delivered and saved and worked in his life over and over and over again. And so he's confident and he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who should, my, who should I fear? Who, who should I be afraid of when the Lord is my light and my salvation? And then he goes on to say this, that the Lord is the stronghold of his life. The imagery here is military. The Lord is this refuge, this place where he can hide. Think of it like this, where you've probably been through a storm or two here in Florida. You go inside your home, that that is your refuge, that is your safe place away from the storm, that that's where you can hide, that is, that is where you're safe. And that's the idea here that he's saying, the Lord's my stronghold, though there's a war and storms and all these things outside. I go inside. I, I hide myself in the Lord, that he becomes my stronghold, that he becomes my safe place, that I can go in there. And no matter what's going on out here, like I, I'll be I'll be OK and I'll be safe. Again, you go to another Psalm, Psalm 23. David says this, that the Lord prepares a table before him in the presence of his enemies. Man, when the Lord is our refuge, we have this source of strength, this source of peace, this source of power, this uh, sustaining of us in the midst of whatever is going on around us. No matter what our enemies are doing, no matter what the world is doing, no matter what uh, is happening with politics or with uh, governments or with uh, the weather or what, whatever it is, that, or your family or whatever it is that you face, when we hide ourselves in Him, He becomes this refuge. And he is this stronghold, this place we can go to and we can hide. And we're safe in Him. And the world outside might be going nuts, but in Him we have peace. In Him we have a safety. He's a safe place, this hiding place. And I can imagine as 
David is pinning this. He's thinking about all the, the caves that he hid out in when he was running from Saul and all the strongholds and the, the, the places that he was able to, to be safe from those who were trying to get at him. And that Jesus is that place for us, that he's our stronghold, that he's our safe place. So he says this, the Lord is my light, that he's, he's my salvation, he's my stronghold. I don't have anyone to be afraid of. And so he starts off with this confidence, this burst of let whatever come, let it come because God is my light and God is my salvation. He's my stronghold. I have no reason to be afraid. And all of these past victories are what make David confident. We can look throughout these verses, the first six verses of this psalm, and we can see this confidence. Notice again in verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Verse 1, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Verse 3, or verse 5, excuse me, he will hide me in his shelter. Notice, notice the use of these words, it's confidence. It's not, he might, you know, he might hide me in his shelter. No, he's, David says, he will hide me in his shelter. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up high upon a rock. He's confident. This is who God is. This is what God has said. And this is what God's going to do. And he's, he's on it. He's saying, this is what's going to happen. God is going to do this. And this confidence is even seen in his response. Notice verse 3. My heart will not fear. Again, notice the wording. He's declaring it. He's not messing around. My heart will not fear. Verse 3. I will be confident. Verse 6. I will offer sacrifices of joy. Verse 6. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. There's all this language of God is going to do this and I'm certain of it. And because of that, I'm going to do this. And this is certain. This is going to happen. How does, he get, how does he get such confidence? How is it that David and all the stuff that he's going through, how is it that he's so confident? And I think we get a glimpse of it in this psalm. I think that his life is focused on one thing. And that is this. In, in verse 4 he says this, One thing I have asked, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Like he, he has decided, he, he's confident in God because he's decided that his one desire is going to be to, to be with God, to know God, to be in his temple, to be with God, to be with his people. David wants to know God in God's house. He wants to know God. And there's a lot of uh, people who read this and try to kind of skirt around the idea of what David's saying here. But he's saying he wants to know God in God's house, with God's people. That's part of the deal, that he wants to be in the house of the Lord. And again, we, we talked about this several weeks ago, but we live in a day and age where people don't want to engage physically with the house of the Lord. And again, there's no, no problem being online or anything like that if we're sick or anything like that. But there's something that happens when we come together physically in the house Amen. of the Lord. And David knew that. And he says here, I want to be in the house of the Lord. I want to gaze upon his beauty in his house. And he wants to be in God's house. And notice it's as he knows God in God's house that he's hidden in the shelter. Verse 7, he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under his, the cover of his tents. It's as he knows God in God's house that he's lifted up. Verse 6, and now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies and all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices, shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. 
So there's this confidence that David has that comes from this one goal, this one desire. I want to be with God. I want to know God. I want to be in God's house with God's people. I want to be there. That is the goal. That is the aim of my life is to know him, to be with him. And knowing that, listen, when you get your desires in the right order, things in your life start to start to get get together. Like you like things start to fall into place. Who, Who was it? I believe it was Augustine who talked about. We have a problem in our life, and really the, the problem is this, is, we, is our loves are disordered, right? Like we love the, we love the wrong things first. We put, we put the wrong thing in front, and so we love something more than God. And when our loves and our desires are out of order, our life is out of order. But when you put God first, when He's your first desire, when being in His house with His people, when seeking Him is your first desire, all of a sudden everything else starts to get in the right order. And when things are in the right order, there's a confidence that starts to come over your life. There's a strength that starts to come to you when you begin to get things in the right order. And so when you begin to desire the right thing, the good thing, when you begin to desire Jesus above all else, everything else starts to fall into place and a confidence that you did not have before starts to come. Think of it like like a military, right? The military that's in good order, they're confident in the battle. But a military that is out of order, where people don't know what's going on and the chain of command is all messed up and everything's out of whack, you don't want to go to battle with those people. Right, like there's a, you're, like there's a, there's a sense of, uh, of dread and what's going to happen, and we're not certain and we're not sure. But when you, everybody gets everything in order and everybody's doing their job and everybody's doing the right thing, all of a sudden there's a confidence that comes over a military, and they go, "We go in here, we can take this because we know exactly what we're doing." And when your life gets in the right order, when you begin to desire Jesus first, and when you begin to seek Him first, everything else starts to fall into place, and there becomes a confidence in your life and my life because you're in the right order. But this is not all of the story. The, we, the psalm could end there and we would be happy. David's confident. He's seeking God. Great. But in verse 7, there's this shift. And as a matter of fact, the shift is so drastic that there are scholars who argue this is supposed to be two separate psalms and somebody somewhere like smushed them together. I, wouldn't, I would not agree with that assessment. But the shift is so abrupt that it's caused them to wonder, was this two psalms? And did somebody just scribe, smush them together? Or were they put together later? Or how, how did this ap- actually happen? Because it feels like there's two separate emotions going on in this psalm. Remember as I, I spoke earlier about my moment on that diving board and how there's all these emotions going on inside. There's one of confidence, but yet at the same time, there's fear. And I would say all of us in our lives, like we have moments of faith and moments of doubt, and sometimes it's all rolled up together. And I think what's going on in this psalm is we're getting a glimpse into human nature. That we're getting a glimpse, and I think it is one psalm, and I think it is one man who's struggling through, and on the one hand, he's confident, but on the other hand, he's got some questions. On the one hand, he's got faith, but on the other hand, he's got some, he's got some, some doubt, maybe, some, some things he's having to, to work through, to process through. Notice what happens when, verse 7, we get this shift in tone. His confidence starts to wane, maybe a little bit. He, he begins to feel as though God might have abandoned him. Let's, let's read it, verse, beginning at verse 7. Let's read this again and let, let's, let's hear what it is that he has to say. He says this, Hear, O Lord, when I cry. Be gracious and answer me. You said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face I will seek. God, hide not your face from me. Don't 
turn me away in your anger. You've been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. My father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. So we've gone from confidence to, oh God, don't, don't leave me. Oh God, please don't forsake me. Oh God, God, please don't abandon me. And so there's been this shift here in this psalm. And what does this mean for us this evening? It appears, again, as though, though God has abandoned him and this psalm shifts from confidence to what we would call a prayer of lament. And lament is, is this crying out to God, God, where are you? God, what is it that you're doing? One of the best psalms of lament, and my one of my favorite psalms of lament is Psalm 13, where he says, listen, how long, O Lord, are you going to forget me? How long are you going to hide your face? It's the same kind of language he's using here. God, where are you? God, don't abandon me. God, don't get angry with me. God, don't forsake me. And so he's in the middle of this thing, and he begins to have these thoughts. It's almost like he's saying, God, I'm out here, but God, where are you? God, I'm in the middle of this thing, and I was confident, but now I'm wondering. Now I've got questions. God, you told me to seek your face, but God, it feels like you're hiding from me. What does he do with all these feelings, though? And this is what... This is, what, this is the way that I think that we respond. And this is why this psalm is so beautiful. I, I think that perhaps, perhaps as he's looking around at his enemies, you know, it's one thing to talk like when, you're in, when we're in the sanctuary, right? And we're praying and we, we, we're, we're singing our songs. I'll raise a hallelujah and God is moving and we are confident. And then when we get out the door, we start to look around and go, wow, like that, that's, that problem is still pretty big. And I wonder if that wasn't David here as he's pinning the first half of this. He's having his time with Jesus. And as he, as he starts, then he starts to think about what's really going on. And he goes, whoa, like that, that army is big. Like this, this problem is huge. Like what are we going to do? And then he's, he shifts his language here to this psalm of laments. And he feels as though he's abandoned. But what does he do with these feelings? What does he do with these fears? What does he do with these questions? He takes them to God. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't brush them under the rug. He doesn't pretend that everything's okay. He doesn't act like he doesn't have these feelings or these emotions. He takes it all to God. He goes to God and he says, God, you've got to hear me. He, he goes to God and says, God, you don't hide from me. He reminds God that in the past, God has been his help. And he ends with this. He ends with encouraging himself. He says, God, everyone else might forsake me. My mom and my dad, they might forsake me, but God, you will not forsake me. And then he breathes this final encouraging word to himself where he says this, Lord, teach me your ways. Lord, don't turn me over to my enemies. And then all of a sudden, the tone shifts again. And he says this, I know I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so there's this movement in this psalm from confidence to questioning back towards confidence. And how does this psalm end? He waits. He moves from confidence to question to confidence. And then it ends with this. Be strong. Take courage. Wait on the Lord. You see, we don't like to wait. But he says here to wait in the Lord and take courage and 
wait. Again, notice the structure. He moves from confidence to question to confidence. And I, I can't help but think that some of us in this room, maybe you started off in something that God wanted you to do and you were confident of it and then you got in the middle of it and now you're uncertain. Or, or maybe there's a, a storm that you are in the middle of and you prayed and you really did pray it through like God really did show up. But then you got back out into the real world outside of your prayer closet and now you have questions and you have doubts and you have fears. What do we do with those things? They're real. And this psalm would tell us to take those things to God. You see, our confidence is based on what He has done in the past, that He has been our light, He has been our salvation, He has been our stronghold and our refuge. We could go around this room and tell story after story of God's deliverance and God's power and God's salvation and God's work in our lives. God has called us and God has worked in us and God has healed us and spared our lives and freed us from addictions and all sorts of things. And we have every reason to be confident, but sometimes in the middle of it, we find ourselves conflicted. Perhaps it didn't turn out like we had hoped. Perhaps the situation looks worse now than when it started. We were confident on the way up, but now that we're in the middle of it, we're uncertain. We've got questions. God, are you sure you're going to come through here? God, where are you? God, you promised this. God, you said this. God, you did this in the past, but here we are, God, and it's not looking so good. And tonight I want to remind you of, of just two things as we get ready to close. Number one, don't beat yourself up. Like sometimes we get in those moments where we have questions and we go, oh, I can't question that. Like, where's my faith? And the Bible is going to say, like, you're, like, this is part of, the part of the process. And this psalm is going to show us that you're, you and I are just like everyone else, that we've got questions and doubts and uncertainties and we don't push them under the rug and we don't pretend that they're not there, that we bring them out into the light and we bring them to the Lord. I, I heard someone say a few weeks ago, they were talking about their struggle with anxiety and they said, you know, I used to try to avoid and escape my anxiety. But they said, instead of doing that, I learned to embrace it. And they said, here's why. Because I learned that it is a sign that God is drawing me towards himself. And instead of trying to avoid it, I go, okay, this is a sign that I need to get alone with God. And they start using that as a trigger to get alone with God. And you see, sometimes we want to escape our fear. We want to push it under the rug. We want to act like it's not there. But what if it is there in order to push us towards God? Like, what, what if it is there in order to remind us that we cannot do this on our own? What, what if it's there to remind us not to be so confident in ourselves, but to be confident in Amen. Him? And so rather than pushing it under the rug and denying it and not working through it, let's bring it out in the open to God and say, God, I've got these questions. I'm confident in You. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a ball of paradoxes. Lord, at the one, on the one hand, I believe you. But on the other hand, I've got all these doubts and questions. Lord, help me through this. And we give it to Him. And so fear at times is a normal response. Anxiety is a normal response. We don't avoid it, but we push through it and take it to Jesus in prayer. And so we learn to, to not beat ourselves up, but to let it push us towards prayer. And then secondly that we take all these emotions and all these feelings to God. And as we do that, we take courage and we wait. Amen. We wait. Yes. We don't, that's the part we don't like. Right? Like, God, we're confident you're going to do this and we're telling you you're going to do it now. And God says, sometimes you just have to take courage and wait. 
and wait. The psalmist here begins to take his emotions to God in prayer, and God begins to work. And at the end of this psalm, it shifts back towards confidence. You see, we see the bigness of the situation. We see the problem. We take all of that to the Lord. We lay it down before Him. And then we walk away confident that the God who started it is going to finish it. And we wait for the God who started it to finish it. We move through those questions, keeping our desire focused on Him. We pray and we wait. We move through our, our questions back to confidence. And this confidence gives us courage to wait. That the God who's done it before is going to do it again. That the God who's worked it out in the past, He's going to do it again. And in the middle of that thing though, man, we got to push through it and we got to bring all that fear and all that anxiety and all of that to Him and say, God, here it is. And then we get, we get confidence from Him and courage and strength and we yeah. wait. 